Hi there, today is February 24th, 2014, and this is Epicenter Bitcoin, Episode 8. The Bitcoin ATM wave reaches U.S. shores. On today's show, we're talking about the Bitcoin hackathon that took place in Berlin this weekend. We're also talking about the continuation of the Mount Gox disaster. We're talking about how the Bitcoin ATM wave has finally reached the U.S. And we're talking about Tiger Direct and the Bitcoin integration of Balanced, a payment API. If you like the work we're doing and you'd like to support the show, please go to epicenterbitcoin.com tips for our tipping address. Hello and welcome to Epicenter Bitcoin, episode 8, a weekly podcast about Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies. My name is Sebastien Couture. I'm a UX designer based in Lille, France, and also the founder of Bitcoin Talks Lille. And I'm Brian Fabian Crane. I'm uh, the founder of the Bitcoin Startup Spelling Group and kind of involved in a variety of Bitcoin projects here. How are you doing, Brian? Yeah, I'm good. We just finished a hackathon here. We had a a Bitcoin hackathon here this weekend. It was called uh, uh, Berlin, Texas, because there's this uh, Bitcoin conference in Texas in in about two weeks, I think. Okay. Uh, so they're doing a hackathon there, and we did one here. And the winners of this hackathon basically got their a trip paid to, you know, to go to Texas, uh, go to the conference, and uh, join the hackathon there. Didn't we meet so the guy who was putting on that conference in Berlin? Uh, you mean the one in Texas? Yeah, no, we did talk to him. Yeah, what was we his name? actually, yeah, his name is Rafael Rodriguez. Right, right, right. right. Uh, although there was another one, we should actually play this. Uh, I mean, he, he's helping to organize it, but the main guy, uh, his name is uh, Paul Snow, and he sent us this uh, video that he was recording in Texas. So this is to say, "Hello in Berlin." It was hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> It, it, it was like he has his cowboy hat. He's sitting there, and it's like, "Hello!" <laughs> it's like, "I hope when you make, I hope when we make it out, we're here. You'll have some time for some barbecue and some Texas beer." <laughs> it, it was, yeah, it was. It, was, uh, it could have been out of some <laughs> TV, gotta, s- some Texas sitcom. I gotta say, your Texas uh, accent is immaculate. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, but <laughs> so tell tell me about the hackathon. Uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was good. It was a really cool location. Uh, it was at Seabase. And Seabase is uh, this really old hackerspace. It's almost 20 years old. And I think the Chaos Computer Club, they have their meetings there and the Wikipedia, our Berlin group and the Pirate Party Germany was founded there. Cool. So it has, has a lot of history. And if you're inside, it looks like a spaceship. It, it literally looks like the set of Alien or something. <laughs> nice. Uh, yeah, there's some pictures on Wikipedia if, if you look like Seabase Wikipedia. So it's, um, it's a, yeah, really cool space. And so it was from Friday night until, you know, today, this afternoon. And there were some really cool projects. So maybe just explain what a hackathon is for maybe those who don't know what it is. Yeah. So the idea of a hackathon is that you get people together and generally programmers to work on some project for, um, brief period of time, you know, usually between 24 hours, this was 48 hours, and you kind of like go all in and work as hard as you can on it, and hopefully in the end you'll come up with something great, or you finish something good. 
so you know something functional at least. Yeah, it's kind um, of a startup weekend, I guess, right? Yeah, yeah, very similar to startup weekend, yeah. exactly. Just that it's more technically very technical, uh, yeah, yeah. Because then at the end you pitch, right? Yeah, at the end you demo. I mean, you know, some people did. It was kind of varied, you know. Not everyone did a programming project. Some people also didn't finish it, or you know, somehow didn't get to where they wanted to be. Some people uh, introduced a more of a conceptual thing in the end, but yeah, so it was varied. And and do does the winner have like other investors there? Perhaps. Yes. So the guy sponsoring this. His name is Thomas Hessler, or the company, his company is sponsoring it, which is called UFO Start. Oh, okay, Thomas, we, we met him at the conference. Yeah, we have yeah. A, exactly, we have an interview, a short interview coming up with him in the episode of the Inside Berlin conference. We, we interviewed him there. Yeah. And uh, so he has, you know, kind of like a, a, a fund, a startup fund. So it's, uh, it's actually, it was, Really an amazing opportunity, I would say, for, I would say, a Bitcoin programmer to participate in that. Because one, four, four people got their trip paid to Texas. So that's out of, you know, maybe 20 people who actually finish a project. That's a pretty good, including hotels and conference there, et cetera. Yeah. Uh, and then he also said he wants to invest 10,000 euros in three startups. I mean, I don't know if that actually happens. I guess it depends on whether they want to pursue it, et cetera. But uh, at least the possibility did exist. And uh, let me just briefly tell you about the two, uh, two of the two my, my two favorite projects, and those were also the winner and the runner-up. And uh, my favorite project, which is also the one that won, was by Felix Weiss, and we have an interview with him in the last episode because he was a Room Seventy Seven, yeah, and uh, we briefly talked to him. He told us and, he's uh, doing, he's working on the uh, on the Bitello project, uh, multi signature. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And he was working with one. I actually don't know his last name, but his name is Dennis something. So Dennis was doing the front end. He actually did a, a tremendous, excellent job as well. It was uh, really quite amazing what they put together in two days. So, um, what the project is called CoinSwap, and CoinSwap. Actually, if you Google it, I Googled it. If you Google CoinSwap, you get something else, which is not related. Uh, so there's, I think it will be on GitHub, but it's, you can't find it online yet. Uh, so CoinSwap, the idea is, let's say you have some Dogecoin and I have some Bitcoin and we want to trade and we agree on some price. So I don't know, I have no clue what the exchange rate is, but you know, let's say you want to pay me a uh, hundred Dogecoin for Bitcoin. Um, then the question is, of course, how do you do that securely? So do I send you the Bitcoins and then I have to trust you to send me the Dogecoins? Or, so there is obviously a, a difficulty in achieving that right. securely. Now, what you could do is you could put an exchange in between, but then you have to trust the exchange. So CoinSwap really kind of gets rid of that. So they're using multi-signature wallets. So it would be a three out of two uh, wallet. And uh, CoinSwap, they have one uh, private key. And so maybe briefly about uh, three out of two wallets. Basically, that means you need two signatures out of three um, signatures in order to make the transaction. Um, so the way it will work here would be... Um, 
you know, I sent the bitcoins in this multi-signature address. Uh, you sent the Dogecoins in this multi-signature address. Now we have two signatures, and uh, it gets executed. I get you Dogecoins, you get my bitcoins. Uh, CoinSwap isn't really involved except for providing the website. They they can't do anything. They can't steal the money if they want to. Um, but what happens if I pay in the bitcoins and you somehow stop? You don't pay in the Dogecoins. Now then, I basically uh, CoinSwap is going to do an automatic refund after two hours, um, and I'm going to get it back because they have the second key. So if I have I sign it already, they sign it, then I can get it back. So it's it's great. I think it's a really cool, really cool project, and they, they got it to a super impressive level of a standard too in these two days. So I'm really excited about this. I hope they continue this and make it, you know, implement it. And so, what's the business model? They would charge you like some sort of an escrow fee. Yeah, that's a good question. I was asking him about that too. They didn't want to charge a fee. Actually, I think charging a fee would not would actually not even be possible uh, with this model because if if you want to charge a fee, then you have to do something else. Because here, if it goes according to plan, then really we are just I'm sending you money, you're sending me money. CoinSwap is not involved, so if you want to pay them a fee, we'd have to increase introduce some additional transactions. Right, yeah. Uh, so I think donations, obviously. Okay, yeah. Uh, he, another option would be that he could, he could get paid by uh, coins to be added to the coin swap. So, you know, he would have, he would support certain coins and then, you know, if you want your, I don't know, pot coin on there or God knows what, you could you could pay him like zero point one bitcoin or something for him to add it. Um, you could do advertisement, I think. You know, I mean, if you look at blockchain or info, they do pretty well with advertisement. Uh, but it's true; it's a good point. I mean, I, I think in terms of a business model, it's not exactly obvious, and it might not actually be possible to monetize this in a great way. But I think it is a very valuable service. Yeah, I mean, it seems to me. I mean. Felix is already working on his other project. This is probably just like a side project, right? I presume so, yeah. yeah okay. But I, I don't I don't know. I mean, I think he's I think he does want to pursue it. And then the other one which was really cool was called Supporter. Uh, it's a very simple project and in terms of execution, it wasn't on wasn't quite on the level, but as a concept, I think it's great. So this is an Android app and you would, you would choose a monthly donation level. So I would say I want to donate five milli Bitcoin a month to uh, charities, for example. And then I could just add different charities there. You know, so let's say I could say I want to donate some money to Epicenter Bitcoin, uh, some money to, um, the Red Cross or God knows what. I mean, I guess you have to accept Bitcoin, but, to some other organizations and they then execute a monthly recurring payment. So they, so they would take the five milli Bitcoin and basically split it up over all the charities you want to support. 
And you can give stars, so you could give like one star, two star, three stars to give them more weight. So if I gave three stars to one project and one star to another project and I only had these two projects, then, you know, 75% would go to the three star project, 25% to the one star project. Um, in terms of, in terms of execution level, uh, development level, it wasn't quite there because I think what it, they did, that it actually generated the transaction and then you somehow had to, it was pr provided to you to execute them in local bitcoins or so, some, some sort of hacky way like that. But, uh, of course you could integrate it with a web wallet that has an API, like let's say Coinbase or blockchain or something, or they could do their own wallet. So I think once they do that, this is, this is really cool. Sounds like it was a good hackathon. Yeah, it was. Were you, were you up yeah, all weekend? No, I, I wasn't. Uh, <laughs> I was up all weekend. Organizers get to sleep a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I was. I was working a bit on some things. I, I, I tried to set up Ethereum. The you know, there's a test client, so I, I set up the, um, uh, the Go. They have a Go client, so I set that up, and it was mining. Although I didn't really know what to do with it then, because. Um, there, there were, actually, that's another thing. There was uh, some other guys and they were working on Ethereum too. I think they also spent the whole weekend setting it up because they, they used the C++ client, which apparently is the one you need to use if you want to do something because the Go is not really there. Okay. Uh, and they're, they're planning to start an Ethereum meetup, I think. So that will be great here. Cool. Um, I gotta move to Berlin, man. <laughs> yeah. Crazy I'm, how I'm, stuff is happening there. <laughs> yeah, the next we have the next meetup on Tuesday, so I got them to give a talk next Tuesday on Ethereum. Cool. So they're going to talk a bit more about the contracts, you know, on, on a much. I mean, I understand Ethereum on a sort of a, a high level, but these guys are developers, so they understand much better also on a technical level. All right, so just before we get into the stories, I just wanted to get something out of the way. We're going to be moving our content from. Um, well, our podcast content from the solution we were working with, which is Podbean, and we're moving all of that content to SoundCloud. So, uh, to our listeners who are subscribed to iTunes, in iTunes, you shouldn't see this happen. It, it should happen normally. The redirections should, uh, should work fine. Um, but I'm just putting it out there. If you don't see any new episodes coming this week, it's because you're subscribed to the old feed. And, uh, what you'll need to do then is go to podcast.epicenterbitcoin.com slash feed. So again, that's podcast.epicenterbitcoin.com slash feed. And that redirects you to the SoundCloud feed, uh, which is a much longer URL. So if you're subscribed through, if you subscribe manually through, I don't know, uh, uh, some podcatcher like, uh, like Pocket Cast or something like that. If you don't see the episodes as of, as of next week or even like all the content we're releasing this week from the conference, uh, just add that URL manually and everything should be fine. But anyway, just, uh, as a heads up, everything should be fine. The redirection should get done automatically. So you shouldn't see any problems. All right. So, um, we should probably get started with the stories. Yeah. So this week, once again, one of our main stories is Mt. Cox. They, I think they've been with us for a few weeks now, and so far they haven't made no, show no signs of leaving us behind. They are getting a lot of publicity from this thing. Yes, definitely, yes. So <laughs> if you, if you do believe 
the saying that uh, any publicity is good publicity, then uh, this things are going fantastic for Mankov. <laughs> but I, I'm not sure if this is quite accurate in this case. So they're still not processing withdrawals. It's kind of as it was before. But there are some interesting updates to the story. So they released a new statement on Monday. The statement was, <laughs> you know, they, they said, you know, thank you for patient this week. So they, they're moving their offices now because of security problems. Now nobody knows what exactly the security problems are. Perhaps it is the guy who's sitting in front of the building with the, the cardboard sign <laughs> that, he, that he wants his bitcoins back. And, uh, and Mr. Mark Carpilis, you know, didn't feel his cappuccino or frappuccino was safe enough. <laughs> uh, we don't know. But they have used, moved their offices and some people followed up and checked, you know, what's this new address and supposedly whether now this is kind of a building that holds, it's like a virtual office, right? People have a, kind of a mailbox there and there's maybe a reception, et cetera. But I don't think you know, they're not actually going to work there. Yeah. So this is, of course, a bit of a worrying sign. If they disappear with their offices, what's you know what's going on? So we do, we don't know what exactly is up there. And How many people work it, at Mount Cox? Do you know? I don't know, but I have seen that in that building they're in, they rent perhaps half the building, so they have several floors there. So I presume. I I don't I don't know. I have no idea. Right. But but probably probably above twenty or I, I would think, but I don't I don't know. So there's some other news. Uh, well, they they also claim they're still working on fixing the box, but no no progress there. There was an interesting uh, chat discussion where Gregory Maxwell, who's one of the core developers of Bitcoin, mentioned that he he thinks that Bitcoin was doing. Uh, sort of automatic reissues if they couldn't find the, um, I guess in the transaction mail bill, you know, if they, if they, someone made a withdrawal and then they looked up the withdrawal by the transaction ID and they couldn't find it, which was what this whole thing was about because uh, the person withdrawing it uh, altered the transaction hash and the transaction ID that way. So uh, this Gregory Maxwell pointed out that it seems from uh, what his impression is that they were doing automatic reissues. So I guess in that case, they didn't even have to, the person doing that didn't even have to go back to Mt. Gox and saying, hey, I didn't get it, please reissue me again, but they were doing it automatically. And of course, if that was the case, then that's a bit worrying because perhaps they did this on like, you know, a larger scale. And, and the question here okay, is... Okay, so really what, what would have happened, just so we get this straight, is... An autom so let's just say how this would work. Like an automatic system would check to see if the transaction went through by checking the transaction ID, perhaps sometime after the initial transaction. And if it didn't see the transaction ID, it would just reissue that those bitcoins. Automatically. Yeah, that's that's right. And but of course, if they paid out several times to some user, well, then they are short on Bitcoin somehow. Yeah, yeah. So the question, the real question here is, uh, how many Bitcoins did they lose? Because if this happened on a large scale and they lost, 
I have no idea, but if they lost 50,000 Bitcoins this way, you know, they might be insolvent. Or they probably are insolvent. But maybe it was, maybe it was a much smaller amount. Nobody knows. But, uh, what Gary Maxwell pointed out here is that from his view and because they were apparently doing it this way, it kind of indicates that there might be a, a significant amount that they lost. Um, but we don't know. So this is all speculation. And, but tied to this, there are now some lawsuits going on against Bitcoin. Uh, some guy is... You mean against Mt. Gox? Uh, <laughs> against Mt. Gox, yeah. <laughs> so uh, some guy hired a Japanese law firm and he said anyone can join. It's kind of a class action lawsuit. So if you have more than $10,000 in Mt. Gox, you can join his lawsuit. And, uh, you know, if if they get the money back, then the law firm gets a cut and, and you get the rest. Now, what's also interesting here is... Because if you if you look at the Bitcoin price on Mt. Gox, it's much lower than the Bitcoin price in other exchanges. And of course, you can ask the question, why is this? Because we know it's impossible to get Bitcoins out, out of Mt. Gox, but I think it's also impossible to get money out of Mt. Gox. Like fiat withdrawals. Yeah. Well, so, they called it all fiat withdrawals. Yeah, exactly. So why, in a sense, it doesn't follow that, for that reason, the Bitcoin price should follow Mt. Gox. It is absolutely not, not like that. I mean, we really don't know what that should do to the Bitcoin price. Yes, because what you're saying is, if you can't take the money out, you can't sell them, then... But I guess you could probably, within the Mt. Gox exchange, you could, you could sell your bitcoins for fiat within Mt. Gox. Sure, you but then you still have the you still have the money there, right? Yeah, 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 but but this is where you're getting the price, right? Yeah, yeah, sure, but then in a sense like why is there the sell off of bitcoins in Mt. Gox if you can't get either out in a sense like what what do you prefer having? Well, who knows. But the point the lawsuit point is interesting because this guy was talking to his lawyer and he says, you know, it, it, they're going to sue and you should really have dollars. You should have a dollar balance in Mt. Gox when they sue because if you sued for bitcoins, then first of all, you're going to have to go to court, etc. And the judge is like, what's a bitcoin? What is this? <laughs> yeah. So uh, that can be a problem. So that's one thing. And another thing is if they owe you dollars and they, for example, they don't have the dollars, then I think you have an entitlement to the bitcoins, for example, or their office furniture, things like that. But if they offer you, if they owe you bitcoins, then you might not be entitled to, for example, their dollar balances if they don't have any bitcoins anymore. Um, does that make sense? Um, well, if, right, if, 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 you, if you, I mean, say you had a, a substantial amount of bitcoin in Mount Gox, and then you sold them, you you sold them for fiat within Mount Gox, you'd be at a significant loss. Yeah, that, that's true. But I think the point here is that if in case of a lawsuit and in case of the court stepping in and somehow seizing Mount Cox's assets, then it might actually be very much preferable to have a dollar balance there as opposed yeah. to a Bitcoin balance. And I that suppose, could be I suppose one it depends of also on um, the, the legal framework 
which in which in which Bitcoin falls in Japan. Yeah, exactly. But I don't think there is much of a legal framework mm. from what I understand. So then, of course, for Judge, it's quite simple in the case of dollars, right? You had some dollar accounts there and they're not giving you the dollars. You know, a Judge knows what to do. But what if it's Bitcoins? So I, I think this may, maybe, I don't know, but it could be that this is one of the reasons why the Mt. Gox Bitcoin price is so low is that these are people who are in the process of suing Mt. Gox and that's why they've basically converted their Bitcoin balances into dollars. So it's possible. I don't know. It's pure speculation, but it could be the case. But the price went and down that, before the loss, this lawsuit story. story. Yeah. But, you, but I mean, first of all, you don't know when, I mean, this is, this was the Reddit and Bitcoin talk announcement, but you don't know when they initiated this lawsuit. That's one thing. And the other thing is um, that this guy who made the post, he says he, says, he thinks that there are other people also in the process of doing kind of large-scale lawsuits against Mt. Gox. Um, and of course, if, if you were in that position, you would probably sell before you make the announcement, no? Yeah, I don't know if I buy that though, because I mean, just think of the amount of customers that are in Mt. Gox, right? Uh, what's the proportion of those customers that are pursuing this lawsuit route? Um, the, well, but I, actually, a week ago or something, there was uh, uh, there was some discussion. Insider trading is going. I think actually before one of the last announcements when the price really crashed was going on in Mt. Gox, and. There was huge sales there, you know, and people were selling like thousands of Bitcoin. And it was probably one person or one party that sold these large amounts. So if, also, if you think of a lawsuit, you know, small Bitcoin holders are not going to pursue that. If you have $10,000 in there or a few thousand dollars, you know, maybe you'll join. I mean, actually, the limit, the lower limit is 10000 to join this even. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is really something that people will pursue who have large amounts in there. So I think it's totally possible. You know, I mean, if someone has, I don't know, a few million dollars in there in accounts, then those are the people who are going to hire a lawyer and et cetera. And those are also the people who will have a huge effect on the price if they sell all their Bitcoins. So, yeah, I don't know. We'll see what comes out of that. It's certainly interesting. It does make for interesting arbitrage. I think the hope is still that... Yeah, so that's another thing we can briefly talk about. Uh, you mentioned before too, there's this new website, which is called Bitcoin Builder. Actually, I think it existed before, but it wasn't used for what it's used now. And on Bitcoin Builder, it's basically an exchange and you can trade uh, Mt. Gox Bitcoins for, you know, quote unquote, real Bitcoins. So, um, Mt. Gox, of course, if you have Bitcoins in Mt. Gox, they're locked. So in a sense, they're worth less than a real Bitcoin where you have to private key and you can do whatever you want with it and nobody can take it from you. So there's an interesting idea is, well, why don't you trade those? So let's say I would give you one real Bitcoin that you control and you give me perhaps two Mt. Gox Bitcoins. So a Bitcoin builder enables that. And uh, so this is very interesting because it also gives you an impression or it gives a reflect, it's a reflection 
of how likely people think that Mt. Gox is essentially going to default and not pay out the Bitcoins, right? Because uh, if people say, okay, I'm only going to give you uh, 0.1 Bitcoin for one Mt. Gox Bitcoin, then you'd know they think there's a 90% chance uh, Mt. Gox is not going to pay out those Bitcoins. And so at the moment, it's about 50%. So you can you can buy a Mt. Gox Bitcoin for for half a, a real Bitcoin. Uh, it yeah. was lower it was a few days lower, ago. Yeah. It was about thirty percent. Yeah. So how does this um, work exactly? I was reading about this. So you you give money to somebody who's got Bitcoin in Mt. Gox, and they transfer. Because the, the problem the problem well, is right now you can't. It's mostly for U.S. customers because you can't. By you can't send um, U.S. dollars to Mt. Gox right now. If, if you want to, if, like if you want to buy bitcoins right now and from the U.S., you couldn't do that because you couldn't send U.S. dollars to it. You can send euros apparently, from what you were telling me. So the problem is that you can't get money into Mt. Gox to buy those Gox coins. Those <laughs> devalued. Well, well, apparently, well, so the way Bitcoin Builder works. Let's talk about this first. Is uh, Bitcoin Builder you know, you would, I would take a Bitcoin. I would create an account with Bitcoin Builder. I think you also have to do some verification. Actually. Yeah, you do. So I would, then I would send a one Bitcoin to Bitcoin Builder. Let's say you have a Bitcoin in Mt. Gox. You would also, and you want to sell them. So you would also create an account with Bitcoin Builder. Then, you know, you would say a trade. I would send you the Bitcoin in your Bitcoin Builder account. And I think Bitcoin Builder would give you a Mt. Gox account that you would send your Mt. Gox Bitcoin to. And then I would basically be in control of that Mt. Gox account. I think that's how it works. And then you have to wait uh, until oh. Mt. Gox um, re-enables uh, withdrawal. Yeah, that's yeah. right. That's right. I'm actually not 100% sure if Bitcoin Builder creates a Mt. Gox account for you. No, I think you. I was reading the FAQ, and I think you have to have one. And it has to be verified. They they won't deal with you if you don't have a verified account. Okay, okay, yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So there's no. It doesn't seem like there's a way to get those coins out right now. Like at first, I yeah, thought no. that they were yeah. that they were holding Bitcoin and that they they were betting on the fact that Mt. Gox would eventually turn withdrawals back on again. I mean, Bitcoin so Builder, they just take 2%. Yeah. They're basically an exchange that just take a 2% transaction fee. Uh, but, of course, if I say I'm going to buy some Mt. Gox Bitcoins and I'm going to give you, you know, real Bitcoins, mm -hmm. then, of course, I'm speculating that they will enable, re-enable withdrawals, and then it can be a huge profit, of course. Yeah. Like, let's say I take 10 Bitcoins and I buy 20 Mt. Gox Bitcoins. They re-enable withdrawals. I can take 20 Bitcoins out. Well, that's fantastic. I made 100% profit. Yeah, and it's just so, uh, but just so people perhaps know, not. There's, there's no difference between Mt. Gox Bitcoins and real Bitcoins. Like when they say these Gox coins on Bitcoin Builder, they're not talking about another type of coin. They're just talking about Bitcoins that are stuck in Mt. Gox and that are devalued. Um, well, in, in well let's put it like this. No, no, no. The one... One is a Bitcoin, right? You have a Bitcoin balance, you have the private key, etc. The other thing is really, it's a number. It, you know, it's like a credit on an, a, a balance in Mt. Gox. But in a sense, you're not sure if that Bitcoin really exists. Mm -hmm. You're not sure if that balance really exists. 
Uh, perhaps it doesn't anymore. Maybe they lost some gigantic amount of money. Nobody know. Uh, you know, we don't know, and and it's not really there. That's totally possible. So in a sense, you know, it's not the same as a Bitcoin where you can look it up on the blockchain and say, okay, this is it, and I have the private key, and I know I can control this and do what I want. It's not the same thing. Yeah, you um, said you said you knew somebody who was doing this. Well, so I was actually talking to someone today, and. I was quite surprised by that, but he said he's been uh, doing, he, he did a transfer, like bank transfer, bank wire transfers into Mt. Gox now. So apparently you can still deposit uh, separate payments for the European uh, payments into Mt. Gox. It's even pretty quick, like three days or something, and it's there. And so you can do that and you can buy Bitcoins there. So uh, he's... That's basically another way of accomplishing the same thing in, in mm-hmm. terms of buying, you know, quote unquote, Mt. Gox bitcoins. But I think it's cheaper that way because uh, Bitcoin Builder, they actually have a, let's say, a worse rate for Gox bitcoins than if you if you have cash in uh, Mt. Gox. Yeah, but again, uh, so you can. The, I think again, you're taking the risk that Mt. Gox will not. Um, not necessarily, because I think he is actually interested in doing something different. So he's interested in uh, transferring euros to Mt. Gox. Then with those euros in Mt. Gox, he buys you know, Mt. Gox bitcoins. And then he would go to Bitcoin Builder and he would sell those for real bitcoins. And then you could, let's say, sell those for euros and start that cycle again. Mm-hmm. And because there's a premium on Mt. Gox Bitcoin on Bitcoin Builder um, versus, you know, the actual exchange rate on Mt. Gox, uh, he can make, you know, there, he, you can make some money with that. But of course, it's an arbitrage opportunity, and arbitrage opportunities always decrease the more people use it. And if he makes that bank transfer now and it arrives in three days, it's totally possible it will be gone in three days. Uh, so, yeah, but I mean, in any case, you're still, I, I, you're still buying not, bitcoins at a, at a much lower price. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, but then you also have to sell them at a lower price because you have to sell them on Bitcoin Builder and oh, people right, yeah. pay half, mm-hmm. right? So, mm-hmm. but yeah, no, it's uh, it's interesting, and it's definitely very interesting how this. Business was created out of this, you know, like kind of disastrous situation <laughs> yeah. and people locked in there. And it makes a total sense, of course, to give people the opportunity to trade that way and to really take bets in this way on, um, you know, is Bank Ox going to survive? Are they going to re-enable Bitcoin withdrawals or not? So this is cool and it's interesting and it's very innovative. So, yeah. Yeah, and the guy who did this is uh, Josh Jones. Um, he's uh, the founder of DreamHost. Yeah, so he does seem to be, uh, you know, um, a legitimate guy, and I think yeah. he's also very open about his identity, so people mm-hmm. kind of, you know, trust it. Is there anything you want to add about the story? No, I, th- I mean, I'm sure we'll come back to this next week. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure, I'm sure. I hope not. I'm sure for a few weeks they will. No, I mean they will. We will, right? This is not over, and this yeah, is not yeah, going to yeah. be over anytime soon. I think, yeah. even if they enable withdrawals, 
you know, I think we will see some kind of run on Bitcoin. People will try to get their Bitcoins out as soon as possible. And then the question will be, uh, will there be enough for everyone to take them out or not? And so I, I, this story is going to be with us for a while. I don't think Mount, this Mount Gox story is going to sort of wrap up within the next few weeks. It will, or not, not next few days. It will take a few weeks at the very least. It just seems like there's so much, so many. There, there, I would love it if there was so many more interesting things to talk about. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, some better news than you know this company. It's just a disaster. But yeah, I, I mean, I think we talked about it. We mentioned this last week, and one thing for me that just really illustrates is that there is such a huge need for high quality, high mm-hmm. performance, reliable, secure, you know, well regulated Bitcoin exchanges that have solid. A bank relationships, uh, you know, that trustworthy, etc. Because uh, this is just a big problem, and if it, it's about scaling bitcoins, really reaching mass adoption, becoming this kind of a competitive payment system to credit cards, etc. This is extremely needed. It's so important, and it's really important this happens soon. It's it's very important we get the U.S. exchange too. I think this it's a huge barrier at the moment. That there's no real functioning large U.S. exchange. Yeah. So yeah. Absolutely. But but we do have a second story, you know, and that's a much more positive story than this the one's Mount a bit Cox. more interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So maybe I can we can start this off. So the second story is about Bitcoin ATMs. We've talked about Bitcoin ATMs numerous times, and this week we had some really exciting developments have happened. You know, if we remember back, the first Bitcoin ATM was set up in Vancouver at the end of October, and it was a huge success. They did, I think, more than a million dollars in transactions in the first month. Also, if you think about it as a, you know, um, as a business enterprise, this was very profitable for the people operating the ATM. And after that, not much happened. I think it was more than a month until the next one popped up somewhere and they've kind of slowly been popping up in different places. And I, I would say it's been accelerating a bit in more and more places. We've had one in Berlin now for a bit and uh, more and more places they've been popping up. But so far, not in U.S. Of course, U.S. is complicated with all their regulations, money transmitter requirements. But this week, the first ones popped up, and then the next day, another one, and the next day, another one. So it's quite incredible. After all these months of people working on it, within one week, three have popped up. Yeah, that's really great. Yeah, it's really, it's really, it's really exciting. So uh, maybe we can talk a bit about the different the different launches we've seen. So the first one was in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and it's uh, in a Lamasu machine. So that's the the kind of the machine that looks a bit like an old Mac. Very nice, very good design. Um, we saw in Berlin too. There's a Lamasu too, and uh, it's a one way, so you can only buy bitcoins. You can't sell it. And it's in a cigar lounge called Imbibe. I actually know the guy who operates it pretty well. Um, I met him at the Amsterdam Bitcoin conference last year. We had dinner twice together. He's a really cool guy. Uh, Eric Stromberg is his name. And uh, I think he set it up in New Mexico because 
it's one of three states that doesn't require a money transmitter license. So it's it's much easier to do it there than in other in other places. So yeah, this is it's really cool. Yeah, I gotta say too, like the Lumsden machine is just I, I haven't tried any other ones, but it's just so easy. <laughs> I mean, it it, it 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 takes what like twenty seconds. You just like scan your QR code, put your money in, and like accept, and that's it. Like, yeah, I think yes. this does just so much for um, for overall acceptance and and uh, a Bitcoin, you know, for people to just be able to walk up to it in ten seconds. Pop fifty euros yeah. or whatever, but 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 <laughs> not but. so easy, not so easy there, not so easy in the U.S. Yeah, yeah. So the, but I mean, this is what it, this is what we would want, right? We would want something the, to be this so, is what we want. so easy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, technically, this is so smooth and easy and uh, super convenient. But the problem, of course, is anti-money laundering rules and KYC regulations. Wah, wah, wah. Yeah, so what Eric has to do at the moment, he's actually sitting next to that machine and he has to, he like manually writes down the address and the phone number of the people. I think he checks your ID, I guess. And Talk about he, know your customer. <laughs> yeah, and uh, of course he, the, the idea is you have to monitor like quote unquote suspicious activity. So the idea is if you have this unattended and someone comes and puts in like $10,000 over and over or something like that, uh, you know, you'll want to prevent money laundering and that's why you need to do this. Of course, in a sense, it's so preposterous. Could let's say you actually wanted to loan the money. Like using a Bitcoin ATM at this point in time would be the worst idea ever. <laughs> it would be so terrible. <laughs> So there's so much attention on these things, so much surveillance. It's it's of course completely absurd, but yeah, that's that's the rules. So I don't know how he's gonna scale that though. I f he does want to scale it, I think, and obviously he doesn't want to spend all his time. <laughs> he doesn't want he doesn't want to keep sitting next to that machine. <laughs> so uh, yeah, we'll see. But yeah, so that's, that's, that's the first one. He's charging 7% transaction fee, I think. It's pretty high. It's pretty high. But you know, again, if you have someone who's like sitting next to the machine, <laughs> you, you know, pay so. that guy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, actually the one in Vancouver, they have one sitting, the person sitting there like all day long, I think. Although I think in Vancouver, it's not because of any monitor learning, et cetera, but it's because there's problems with the machine often or, you know, the machine would, pay out the money to the user's address or so send the bitcoins to the user's address but then for some reason because i think they make it an exchange withdrawal so then the exchange is too slow and the people are where is my bitcoin right right so yeah. then it's be someone there who tells them no everything's okay you'll get your bitcoins like bitstamp is down at the moment or some problem so you actually need to have someone to help them or to kind of help manage through these problems that come up so in Canada, it's not because of the regulations. I think they have someone. So there's some other ones too. There's one in, in Boston that opened up in the uh, in Boston. Yeah, that's right. So in Boston, there. just just a day after, yeah, in some South Station, apparently the largest train station in Boston, uh, some by some company called Liberty Teller. Uh, so I tried to read. You know, first of all, do they, what transaction fees they charge? I couldn't find anything. 
So I don't know. And I also try to find out what about the KYC and AML thing. And they do supposedly, but I couldn't find very good information. Supposedly they only require an ID if it's above $500. So. But then again, what's the stop you from doing multiple transactions, you know? Yeah, because they're there. I mean, they're the standing there too. And uh, yeah. so in a sense, they, they you see you and like you... a fake mustache and a hat and <laughs> yeah that's right yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah no of course you can like keep dressing up in different ways and come back and do 480 dollars or something like that yeah. but then, i i doubt that's going to be the most efficient way to launder your uh, drug cartel money <laughs> um and then the next one interesting too because so the llama uh, the boston one is also a llama machine and then the third one was the day after, so within three days, three machines, is in Austin, Texas, and that's a Robocoin. Now, Robocoin is the same as Vancouver in October, and so you can both buy and sell Bitcoins. It's really big and bulky and, you know, not too good looking. Uh, and, of course, the interesting thing is the llamas, they're, they're really very built in with a very different... I would say mindset. The Lama Sioux machine is built with, you know, how do I make the, the smoothest process? I mean, you saw it in Berlin. It's just smooth and this is how it should be. And then you have the problem, but there's all these regulatory AML requirements and then you have to have someone sit next to it. The Robocoin machine, on the other hand, is sort of built to comply. Mm-hmm. So they really built it around all these compliance reg- measurements. So that's why it's... Uh, apparently quite a pain to use, but, you know, I don't think they'll have to have someone sitting next to it. Yeah, so this is the machine that scans your your palm and... Yeah, that's right, yeah. ...asks you to put in your driver's license. <laughs> so so there was, yeah, there was some user on Reddit who was kind of angry. <laughs> I think he didn't manage to complete this, but he wanted to buy, you know, he's like, oh, here's this Bitcoin ATM, let me buy $20 worth of Bitcoin. So it's like, and then... So he does, he goes there, the ATM asks for a cell phone number, he gives them, uh, he gives the ATM the cell phone number, then he gets an SMS with a verification code, then he has to enter the verification code, then he had to provide a palm scan, he had to have, he had to show his driver's license, I think that gets, uh, scanned, I think they take a, you know, a picture of his face and compare it to the, the picture on the driver's license. And this all happens manually somewhere in the background, I mean, the, the 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 machine just takes no no this is automatically oh yeah really this, this is automatic but then so 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 we're at this point now and then it tells him wait five minutes uh, and while they approve the account so I think at that point there's some sort of automatic process that supposed to approve the account but then he got a message that apparently couldn't be approved automatically so he has to wait longer so I guess for whatever reason. It wasn't automatically approved, so then they get someone manually to do that. And so I think he was sort of innovated, angry, and then just left and posted on Reddit that this is messed up. And some other guy on Reddit said that he lost his driver's license in the machine. He put it in through the wrong slot. <laughs> that, was, that was hilarious. Apparently several people complained that, you know, you have to 
put your driver's license in so they can scan it, I guess. And apparently there's several slots and it doesn't say which one. <laughs> <laughs> so some guy put it in there and then it was disappeared inside. And <laughs> yeah, so this is kind of clearly kind of irritating and doesn't, doesn't help us go in the right direction, I guess. But um, yeah, but if again, if you think about it, right? So if we have these people sitting next to the machine manually, obviously this is not you can't do that. It, I mean, it's just yeah. So this it makes sense what they're doing because if you want to have this scale, if you want to have this work on a on a broad scale, then you just you do need to have this automatic. And if the requirements are such a nightmare, then I guess you have to do these tedious, complicated uh, processes. Of course, it's not smooth, right? I mean, here you get account message, text verification message, and you have to wait, and then palm scan, and then you get an account, you go there again. Actually, if you go there again too, I mean, I think the purchase process again has some of this in there. Um, so, yeah. Now, but I mean, these so these ATMs, the people that are running these, they have to have a high, they have to have liquidity in Bitcoin in order to be able to sell them, All right? So, in, in in addition to buying the ATM, they have to purchase some Bitcoins. Otherwise, unless they're working directly with an exchange, but this is not the case with Lamsu machines. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, yeah, go ahead. They, they especially need to have money in an exchange, so they need to have. Uh, you know, I actually read somewhere that for the Canadian machine, they need something like $300,000 to operate that machine in, in money. So that's primarily money in the bank account and then some of it in Bitcoins. So someone comes there, he buys Bitcoins. They send him some of the Bitcoins they hold. And then with the money in the bank account, they buy the same amount of Bitcoins again. Uh, so they do this, this kind of process. Okay. No, I wanted I want to talk about that because um I was talking to Yorick at uh room seventy seven and so yeah. he explained how he's doing it. So people come and they sell their bitcoins for cash to to the machine and then those well, bitcoins yeah. get sold back. No so so awesome. let, yeah, so the idea of course, in, so in room 77 here, they, they put up one of these llama suits as well. Yeah. But if you want to operate a Bitcoin ATM here, sort of, you know, in the uh, standard way, I would say, or standard way, there's no standard way, but you know, if you want to operate it as a, you know, as a proper business, I would say, you have to basically get this equivalent kind of money services license, which is um, a pain. He didn't want to do that. And uh, he, he also didn't care about making money. So the idea of their ATM here is that anyone can put on or kind of deposit their Bitcoins on the ATM. And then they will be sold through the ATM. And then you can go there later and collect your, your money, your euros. For, and the advantage there at least in principle, is that Room 77, they're not engaging in a money, you know, they're not providing a financial service. Yeah. But this is, I think this is more what he wants to, this is not how it works right now. But I find this very interesting because it, it just really takes that burden off of whoever's holding 
the the ATM and allows for you know trading to occur on a more like a local level. I mean, even though it's going through an ATM, it's kind of um, it turns a, a local Bitcoin model into sort of a more automated uh, um, model where you can, you know, put that responsibility onto the ATM and. Yeah, that's right. And but, what he was but, telling me, too, he, he told me about something else yeah. that's, that I found really interesting. I don't know if he talked to you about this, but he wants to take it a step further. So right now, whoever puts their bitcoins on the ATM, they have to come back, you know, like once a week and collect their cash. He wants to build this other thing where he's got like lockers. And in order to unlock, so he, so the money, the cash would be put into these kind of like lockers or little safes. And the safes would be unlocked, uh, by sending like one Satoshi from, from yeah. like, a special address. I thought this was mind blowing. Yeah. I mean, but this isn't, I mean, I think it's more sort of a conceptual idea. Yeah. But it's really no, cool. No one's for, for a small, business or a bar or whoever you know that's um that has a bitcoin atm and just wants to sell locally within their community this is all like really interesting stuff i find we need to be working yeah on. absolutely i think he's doing i think he has a he's chosen kind of a, a good approach to doing this and you know possibly circumventing the law a bit but what's 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 important to point out here as well is that even if it works the way Room 77 and Jörg wants this to work and he's not providing a financial service. Somebody is. You know, so if I'm putting my Bitcoin on there and it's sold through that machine, then in a sense I am providing that financial service. So this doesn't really get rid of the problem. It just passes it on. Mm -hmm. It passes on that responsibility. So the issue then I think is going to be at some point, it's very possible, um, the financial you know, regulators are going to come and they're going to say, we need to have records of all the people who sold Bitcoins through this machine because we need to check if any of them were doing this sort of as a business. So, and that's going to depend on the volume. So if you do, if you do this a lot, if you sell it in significant quantities, it's a business, you have to get regulated, etc. If you do it in small quantities, it's okay. So, it's very possible they're going to come and then they're going to want to see people and make sure that people are not doing this sort of commercially. And it doesn't, it doesn't completely get rid of the problem. It just no, kind of passes it on and diffuses it for the time being. But who knows what's going to happen with that? Yeah. But I think diffusing the problem is also important. And, um, you know, if we're able to, you know, take that burden and put it onto somebody who's willing to take it because some people are, uh, they're, they're willing to take that risk, uh, um, for ideological purposes or political reasons or whatever, you know, they, whatever those might be. Um, well, yeah, no. it's up to them. Right. And, and, and also if there's many people, it's harder to go after like one person. No, that's true. No, I absolutely agree. And I think it's just, great to have that machine there and it's it's just such a nice thing yeah. and it's really valuable what's also great of course is that you can just use it you don't have to use an id and all these things that's you know that's nice so mm -hmm. so yeah I'm, I'm very happy about it and i absolutely hope it's going to work out that way and it's going to stay and he'll be able to operate it this way without having to do some crazy you know getting people's palm scans etc <laughs>
<laughs> I think I, I mean I I met him very briefly, but I think that the day that ha- that happens, he's gonna throw a fit. <laughs> oh, he's not gonna do that. No, there's, there's mean, just he, no yeah. no way he's gonna do that. So yeah. <laughs> no, he's a, actually he's a really interesting character. I would love to have him on the show actually. Yeah, we can we could we could do that sometime. Yeah. yeah. Actually, there was another another ATM story that I forgot to put in the show notes, which is kind of related to what we were talking to, is that the local bitcoins they've started producing their own ATM now. Yeah, yeah, I, I and, just added it actually. Yeah, yeah so yeah, so there's. Do you want to talk about it briefly? Well, I mean, there's not much to say other than that they're they're going to be. Producing ATMs that are low priced, so they're at about two thousand dollars, and they're able to perform to perform two way transactions. And these ATMs are actually pretty cool because they would also enable. So when we were at Room Seventy Seven, actually at one point the internet went out, and we we couldn't buy bitcoins anymore. So their ATM would allow you to would allow that machine to even work offline. So you would go to it, like say the internet's out and they don't have a connection, um, you would get a voucher. For your, so you put your money in, you'd get a voucher and then you could go to localbitcoins.com and redeem your bitcoins through with, well, with this voucher. Yeah, so there's a few things. I mean, first of all, the machine is so ugly. I, yeah, I just, I mean, <laughs> it's, it's, it looks terrific, but it's 2000 euros. So it is cheap. I, I personally don't like the local bitcoins integration. You know, I mean, they really, you can't use the machine without using local bitcoins and mm-hmm. I mean, if I buy Bitcoins, I'd much rather just put my QR code and get it to my wallet. Um, so I, I personally am not such a fan of the way they structured this. But yeah, I mean, I think it's, um, it's just another, another player in this market. And there's so many now, so many new companies that are building ATMs. I mean, we've talked about Robocon and Lamasu, but there are many more. And there are many more that are coming slowly. And I think we will see, you know, who knows how this market is going to look like. But yeah. it's very possible that we will see very different companies in six months that are putting up, you know, hundreds of ATMs in, all over the world. Maybe Diebold will start making ATMs. What's that? I said maybe Diebold will start making ATMs. Diebold is a company that makes regular ATMs. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, yeah I mean... <laughs> That's certainly possible. I, I actually I know that would be very I've heard, I've heard of some though. ATM companies that are looking into this. Uh, I, I was I was being ironic when I said that because Diebold also made the horrible uh, voting machines that caused all the kerfuffle about voting fraud in the U.S. a few years ago. Oh yeah, yeah. so they don't they don't have a positive track record. I don't think so. No, I, would, I don't think it would be a good thing if they start making ATMs. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, it will be interesting next weeks to see, or the next months, what this does to Bitcoin adoption in US. You know, hopefully that will really kind of have a positive impact. It's certainly always a great media story, you know, because it's just you can go there as a journalist, you take a picture of an ATM, and it's yeah. Uh, well, so, we discussed this many times, you know, but I, I really think that ATMs are where we're going. Where um, is what. It's going to take adoption to the next level. I mean, yeah, I absolutely agree. I think it's, it's going to be it's going to be 
an extremely extremely important and extremely big so our last story is uh, well we talked about this a few episodes back uh, about Tiger Direct started accepting Bitcoin payments so we just wanted to kind of get back to um, merchant adoption and, and talk about two stories uh, related to that so Tiger Direct uh, started accepting Bitcoin in late January and so they're doing kind of a sale this week uh, from February 19th to 26th. So that means until, so we're 23rd, so Wednesday, I think. Yeah. Um, and they're, they're offering $20 off on any purchase, uh, above $100. So effectively, if you buy a hundred bucks worth of stuff on Target Direct, you get, uh, 20% off. So it, this sale, from what I can understand, is sponsored by chip manufacturers like Intel or AMD, SanDisk, and I don't know if it works on all products or if it only works on their products. But what's interesting about this is that, well... We, we should also disclaim we are not sponsored by Tiger No, <laughs> absolutely <laughs> not. No. Um, although that would be nice. <laughs> Maybe we get uh, you know, new mics and computers and things like that. Uh, so what's interesting about this is it... I, mean, I, I think this is probably just a, a, a you know a marketing move or whatever a promotion to try to boost sales in some sort I don't think that the reason behind this is to make up for the transaction fees that they're not paying with Bitcoin um, well but, but like let's say let's say they do save you know let's say they do save a dollar or 80 cents or something per hundred per hundred dollars of revenues on Bitcoin transactions and you know if you assume that the people who are gonna st- the Bitcoin buyers they're gonna start using Tiger and they're gonna keep using that you know then uh, this can really make sense for them uh, so I, I mean I, I, I suspect it is related you think so? I think so yeah, yeah. I mean, it very well could be. I mean, what, one thing I, I thought was kind of interesting is, you know, perhaps, like, even though, so let's say, like, $20 off $100, that's a lot of money. That's probably even more than what you're making in margins. Oh, it's way more. Yeah, yeah. so. Oh, pro- probably. Yeah, I'm depending sure. on the products, of course. But if you're yeah. buying, like, I don't know, a tablet, there's not $20 worth of margin on a $100 tablet. But what's interesting is perhaps they're thinking, well, you know, we, Sell these products, uh, we make these sales at, um, with, you know, uh, accepting Bitcoin. Right now the price is kind of low. As the price will go back up, which is certainly, most certainly will, we're going to be making all that money back and we'll have Bitcoins and we'll be able to sell them and have that as gains. I, I doubt that. Yeah. I, I think that's very unlikely. But think about it. I, I mean, if they, if they make all these Bitcoins, cause they've, they've been selling Quite a bit through Bitcoin. Um, yeah, I, I I think that's I, I personally think that's extremely unlikely. If you, I mean, I think Tiger Direct is a publicly traded company, you know. Yeah. Like this kind of thing for a publicly traded traded company, you know, that's gonna. I think that's. I'm like ninety eight percent sure that they're not doing that. I mean, I think they also said you know they are doing what most merchants are doing which is they're using payment processors they get bitcoin 
and then they're immediately sold on and you know they, they only get deposited US dollars. Now to hold Bitcoins on their books to speculate on you know on currency gain that's very risky, you know, because if that goes wrong as a CEO, mm-hmm. you're gonna have to pack off. Yeah, I see. And you, you might even be sued by the shareholder. This, I mean, I think this is something someone can do uh, for their own company. You know, if you own the company, you say, okay, I want to take that risk. You can do that. Uh, but a company where you're, you know, you're managing for shareholders, I. It's it's very risky, and I I don't think they'll do that. Mm. Yeah, but it opens up the opportunity for maybe perhaps some smaller, not publicly traded yeah, companies. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. No, no. I think no. I I totally agree with you. I mean, I think economically this makes sense. It's just a question about the blame. The yeah. question is like, what's the what's the chance if it goes wrong, and what's going to happen if it goes wrong? So the chance of going wrong is pretty high, and if it goes wrong, someone's going to be blamed. And if you if you kind of do what everyone else does and things go wrong with everyone else, then you know you're not you don't stand out. But if you stand out this way and it goes wrong, then you know there'll be one person to blame, and that's you. You know that's the person making that decision. So, but yeah, totally. I think for a small company, or if, you know, if you're the kind of only person that's economically affected by the outcome of your business, you know, I would do it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, um, also another uh, interesting kind of story in this payment um, space. Uh, there's a payment processor called Balance, and they're like a payment processor. So, if you have an e-commerce website and you want to accept Visa, for instance, uh, there's se- several ways you can do that, and some payment companies, some companies exist to facilitate that. So, they allow you to um, effectively add like credit card fields to your website and that data goes through their servers and then they collect the money and um, they transfer the money back to your bank account. So they're, they're a, an online payment processor and they've, uh, so, so basically they work with e-commerce sites. So they have about 450 customers and they've started rolling out Bitcoin payments through their, Platform. So essentially, if you're an e-commerce uh, merchant, or I mean, a site that has payments, you can uh, choose to accept Visa, Mastercard, or American Express, or what have you. And now you can also accept Bitcoin through uh, Balance. So they've tested this. Uh, they're doing a test right now with two of their customers, and they're using um, Coinbase. What's interesting about this is that they're really trying to push it as a cheaper alternative to credit card transactions. So what they trade, what they charge for credit card transactions to the merchant. So if you're a merchant and you sell something through your balanced um, account on your website, you pay 2.9% of that transaction's value plus 30 cents. So if you sell something for $100, you'd have to pay 290 plus 30 cents. So 320. Um, with, with Bitcoin, they're only charging 1% fee. So they're really trying to push this, uh, as the kind of angle for selling this to merchants. And since they're using Coinbase, uh, that merchant will be able to immediately convert it to fiat. 
Oh, are they not automatically converting to fiat? Or I guess they... Or you're going to have to set it up separately with Coinbase, I guess. I don't know. I'm not sure. But they're yeah. using Coinbase, so I suppose that would be possible. So yeah, no, it's cool. Yeah, what's interesting about this company was just to be pointed out that you know they they're funded by Andreessen Horowitz, so um, uh, who's very favorable to Bitcoin. Yeah, that is interesting because I was I was actually looking at uh, Andreessen Horowitz website um, a while ago, and it said on there, oh no, in Mark Andreessen's blog post, it said that they've invested fifty million dollars in Bitcoin startups. And only the Coinbase one is public, I think. And that's much less. So it was like, who, who else have they invested in? So I guess that's one of them. Yeah. Well, I don't know if this is a Bitcoin startup per se. I mean, it's a Yeah, maybe, maybe not. Yeah, they you're right. You're right. They invested that's $2 true. million in a, a, seed of, um, a round of seed funding uh, uh, last year. Yeah, okay. I guess they won't be counted in here. Yeah. yeah. So this is interesting because this is a way that Bitcoin payments can reach a lot of people is that when payment processors uh, like Balanced or, for instance, like Square or even PayPal start accepting uh, Bitcoin payments because effectively then you're kind of rolling out that functionality to all of your customers. This is the same thing for Etsy or Shopify or any of those other platforms that allow you to sell stuff um, or accept well, payments. It's, I think Etsy, I know Shopify, they're already allowing it, right? And they have an integration. Yeah. And I, f I feel like Etsy is possible too. I think I'm not so. 100% yeah. sure there. Yeah, but I, I, I think, think so. And, and so, you know, there's been talk of also PayPal starting accepting Bitcoin. And um, this is not a bad thing for Bitcoin. This really, uh, even though these are, kind of B2B solutions, uh, these payment processors, they end up being used by consumers. And this is where the consumer will end up seeing Bitcoin payments being possible on their purchase. Yeah, no, it's cool. cool, And uh, hopefully a lot of their customers will integrate it and we'll see Bitcoin payments being accepted everywhere soon. Yeah. I mean, the next... The next one, uh, the next payment processor to, that should accept really would be Square. I mean, they've got such a large customer base. Yeah. Okay, so that's it for this week, I guess. It's kind of a short show. We're doing, we're recording kind of late. We usually record on Sunday mornings, but. Um, we're recording uh, late on Sunday night, so we're going to cut this one short. And plus, there's not many, well, not much news this week. So, Yeah, no, so thanks so much for listening. Yeah, uh, and I just wanted to point out that we're going to be releasing uh, a lot of content. I, I hope you guys um, listened to the Room 77 episode as much and enjoyed it as much as we enjoyed recording it and also uh, listening to it <laughs> um and we'll be re releasing uh, uh all of the content from the conference within uh well we'll start releasing it this week probably we'll release one on by wednesday or something like that um and we're, we're how many episodes are we doing brian five yeah five maybe six yeah so, something like that yeah and so that'll show up in the feed uh 
along with the regular episodes we do every week. Yeah, so thanks so much for listening. If you'd like to sign up for a newsletter, uh, please go to epicenterbitcoin.com slash newsletter. Send out every Friday with uh, kind of an analysis of what's been going on. We also, of course, appreciate donations to support the show. So you can do that on epicenterbitcoin.com slash tips. Yeah, I mean, how much, how many Bitcoins do you have in your wallet right now? Take out your phone, look it up, it, it, send us just 80% of it. 80% of it. There you go. No, uh, just, just say, just 80%. We are not greedy. We, we, are, we are modest people. 80% of it is absolutely fine. No, uh, so it, 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 send, send us five mil bitcoins. You know, just a little donation, something to, something to help us out. We don't have any advertising on this podcast as of yet. There, there's stuff that we pay for that's out of pocket, like the SoundCloud, um, uh, subscription. Uh, we, we do have, there are some, some costs associated to this. So, any donations are more than welcome and would help us keep the lights on and uh, also bring you more content in the future, right? So if we can uh, use some of those donations to pay for plane tickets to go to, or train tickets (laughs) to go to London for the London conference or any other event and and bring you that coverage, um, everybody benefits. Okay, well, thanks so much and uh, look forward to next week. 